0: Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast. This series explores the letters to the churches in Revelation and how they speak to us today. Let's jump right into today's teaching. A sunny morning. There's a whole online congregation that we don't really get to see down here. You live somewhere up in that little booth there, I think behind the red light or whatever it is. But I want to welcome you. And you know that we are in... um, Victoria on Vancouver Island and where you are I'm not sure some of you live in Victoria some of you perhaps are scattered across BC uh, we know that we have friends every Sunday every week and um, watch the church service and ministry from uh, Windsor Ontario and several weeks ago I found I have a cousin and some relatives up in the north of Scotland um, who catch Central Baptist Church week by week so we want to welcome you. But you know that when we live in Victoria, we're always aware of one thing. We live under the constant warning that one day there will be an earthquake. The earthquake experts our experts can't tell us when, but it seems that this fault that we live on and stand on, one day we'll decide to hiccup or burp or whatever they do, and we're told it's coming, and so be prepared. How many of you are earthquake ready? You can stuff at the house. You're ready to go. Man, we're not too ready, but could you leave your name with the church office? <laughs> because when it happens, we're coming to your house. We really are. Like many others, in another home we lived in, we had earthquake emergency supplies in our garage, but the house was on top of the garage I never quite understood it, because if the house goes down, <laughs> it's on the garage, and that would. it. We used to live in another house in Victoria on a little lane that was right across from the ocean. And we told people that we lived on the cheap side of the street. Uh, and every year about January, when there were some winter storms, a few feet of shoreline would sort of slowly wash away. <clears throat> and so little by little, the homes across from us would see their lives vanishing, just a few Few feet at a time. And you see earthquakes and erosion do the same thing. It's just that one is faster, more visible, but the final damage is the same. That's the struggle the church has to recognize. That erosion is just as deadly as an earthquake. And compromise, little by little, can do the same damage as conflict. And so this morning as we work through these seven letters in Revelation chapters two and three, um, we want to pay a visit briefly to a church in a city called Pergamum. And we'll see the dangers facing this church are much to teach us about what we face in our church today. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do have, or your cell phone, whatever you read from, Revelation chapter two. I'm just going to pick up some of the, the, the verses as we go. And we, can make it, we begin at chapter 12. Sorry, chapter 2, verse, verse 12. To the angel of the church of Pergamum write, these are the words of him who was the sharp, double-edged sword. Pergamum in the ancient world had one of the most famous libraries. It was said to be the place where parchment was invented. Like many cities... Pergamum was the center for Caesar worship. It was one of the few cities to have received what was called the us gladii, which means the right of the sword. This meant that the governor of the city had the right and the authority to administer capital punishment. Every Christian in Pergamum would understand the reference to the sword coming out of his mouth. All these things are meaningful. It was also the center for worship for the god Asclepius, who is the God of healing. And the um, emblem of that God was a snake or a serpent. Isn't that what's on the medical badges today? Yeah, some of you are nodding, say thank you. And here's the deal. Those who spent the night in the temple hoped that they would be touched by snakes gliding in the darkness across the temple floor. Didn't that sound creepy? <laughs> because the snakes were regarded as the incarnation of the God. You see, Pergamum was the lords of the ancient world. And behind this city, there was a, a conical hill doted with, dotted with shrines and temples of pagan gods. And such a hill, the reference in verse 13 might be to Satan's seat. Verse 13 says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne, that you remain true to my name. You do not renounce your faith in me, even that it is of Antipas, my faithful witness, who is put to death in your city that very probably refers to some specific act of conflict in which the church of pergamum they held their ground faced with a specific issue a kind of an earthquake issue they stood their ground no doubt about that but verse 14 i have a few things against you here is in almost every letter we find a change of tone we move from the success of standing against conflict to the seduction now of compromise This is erosion. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now, the reference to, to Balaam is back to a story in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 31. When Balaam used the temptations of pagan food and pagan women to attack the faith of the Israelites. You can go back and read the story. And the story and the incident, here's the point, has become proverbial for spiritual compromise. And that's the point for us this morning. That's where we want to stop and dwell. And so this historical incident is used to teach the truth then and now. It's the danger of conceding when we do not recognize what is at the heart of most temptations. Verse 16. "'Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you, "'and I will fight against him with the sword of my mouth. "'He who is in near, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. "'To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. "'I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, "'known only to him who receives it.'" In the the commentaries in which I was digging, there's at least nine different interpretations of the white stone. What that means is nobody really knows what it means. (laughs) But you get the point of the letter. It's this. Erosion is just as deadly as earthquakes. Compromise does as much damage as conflict. In fact, maybe more. The church recognized, resisted conflict, and it stood, and it was commended for that. But it failed to recognize compromise. And that's our state setting for today. We will see how dangerous our culture is for the times in which we live. So my application this morning is not so much at a personal level, but rather at a cultural and political context. That might be a little harder for us to consider, just as important. You remember the one thing I'm always struck by the, um, the, what we're told the one phrase about the sons of Issachar. Remember it says they understood the times in which still lived. I wonder if we really understand the times in which we live. John Stott, the English pastor and teacher and author, says of the church of Pergamum and the battle they were in, here is a pitched battle being fought in which the soldiers were not men, but ideas. That's what's important for us. They fought ideas. Darrell Johnson says the church in Pergamum like the church in rome stockholm washington manila new delhi los angeles was engaged in a battle for the mind the outcome of every other battle hinges on the outcome of this battle now we're familiar with the, the words in the picture in ephesians chapter 6 we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers and powers we recognize the truth that one expression describes the christian life is a battle but I don't think we often recognize and understand that first and foremost, the battle we are in is a battle for the mind. Ideas are the strongholds of evil in both the individual and in society. Ideas are the womb in which actions are born. And so the conflict between Christianity and culture is not really a conflict about lifestyles, homosexual or any other kind of lifestyle. At the heart, it is a conflict of ideas. When Satan wanted to draw Eve away from God, he just planted an idea. The idea that God could not really be trusted and that she needed to live outside of the safety of God's truth. It started with an idea that took hold and that gave birth to an act of disobedience. One day, a man had an idea to rule the world and he would eliminate the world of homosexuals, gypsies, and Jews. The idea took hold. It gave birth to a holocaust of concentration camps and gas chambers. It all came from an idea. You see, ideas are strongholds, and the more innocent they seem, in fact, the more dangerous they may be. So allow me please to bring us over 2,000 years from Pergamum to Victoria, to another city where Satan dwells, to Canada, to another land where Satan dwells, to understand that the battle we are in is a battle of ideas. Some suggestions this morning to start your thinking in this direction. There are others, but these may be uniquely Canadian, set against the background of the Charter of Rights. They may sound philosophical to you, but they're actually at work every day in our lives. As a congregation, can I say to you, you listen well, Sunday by Sunday, and I thank you for God. And I ask you to do that again this morning. I'm gonna give you three, three ideas with big words. We'll explain them as we go. First of all, there is the freedom of privatization, we need to begin with the definition. What do we mean by privatization? It's kind of a clumsy word. Privatization means the process in our society which creates a cleavage between public and private spheres of life, and which reinforces and encourages the private sphere as the arena for any personal development fulfillment. So the, the private area becomes an area of incredible freedom. You can do anything you want in this private world. The private world becomes a place of growth, a place of hobbies and personal pursuit of individual expression. That's what's allowed in the Charter of Rights. We are free to build whatever world we want in our private world, as long as you don't rock the boat in the public world. You can do whatever you want. You can do yoga or Bible studies. You can play golf or Satan worship, Wicca, gardening. It doesn't really matter, just kind of keep it private. Each is equal weight and value, you just do your own thing. You see, everything is permitted in the private sphere. So for Christians in this private world, Christian faith flourishes, Bible study deepens, but the global umbrella of faith and the impact of faith may actually sink. There's no earthquake, just silent erosion. While personal faith can grow, the real Christian penetration of our modern world and society slows down and may actually come to a halt. Truth is removed from the public arena and now becomes a matter of private conscience. What this erodes and destroys is the truth and the power of the totality of the Christian faith. Remember, Jesus described his kingdom, which means the reign and, and the rule of God, to be like a grain of sand or yeast, permeating, influencing all of life and all of society. The freedom we think we have been given is perhaps a seduction, and it causes the erosion of our faith. It creates a faith that may be privately engaging and meaningful for us, but at the same time becomes socially irrelevant. That is erosion doing its deadly work. Let me give you an example of a man who understood the need for public faith cost him dearly. His name was William Wilberforce. In 1787, he sat at his desk one foggy Sunday morning, and he wrote, Almighty God has set before me two great objectives, one, the abolition of the slave trade, and two, the reformation of manners, and so began one of the great offenses in modern history, against the greatest evil of the day, slavery. Time and time again, Wilberforce dragged his battle and his calling into the public arena of the Parliament of London, and he faced defeat after defeat. Forty-six years later, in July 1833, his bill to abolish slavery passed the second reading in the House of Commons. The following Sunday, Wilberforce passed into a coma and died on the Monday morning. When Wilberforce became a Christian at 25, he thought and he assumed that the greatest spiritual commitment he could make was to become a pastor. This is how he would make his greatest public impact. And there was a friend who wrote to him, encouraged him not to enter ministry. to stay in politics. You know who that friend was? He was John Newton, who had been the captain of a slave ship and wrote Amazing Grace. You see, we are called to have a personal faith. And you may also say, I have a private faith. But as Christians, we cannot have a privatized faith. Jesus Christ is not only the Lord of our spiritual lives, he's Lord over every area of our life. He insists on encouraging the totality of our faith. It means engaging at whatever cost in the public arena of life. Part of the struggle that we face with the homosexual agenda is that they've moved the arena from being a private one to being a public one. And so Christianity faces opposition when it moves this agenda out of the private sphere to public sphere. But Christianity is called to be a public faith, not a privatized faith. If I can say this in the right way, it is time for Christians to come out of the closet. Second idea that we face, we face the neutrality of secularization. Once again, clumsy words. What does secularization mean to us? Secularization is the process by which little by little, religious ideas and spiritual influence is slowly withdrawn and removed from society. It's the process by which sectors in society become less and less influenced and shaped by religious ideas. Bit by bit, we yield to the slow, Definite erosion caused by secular thinking. Christian institutions, Christian ideas have been displaced from the center of modern world. Nowadays, if you <coughs> excuse me, if you decide maybe to go to the gym after work one day, you might say to someone, "I'm going to go to the Y." But it used to be known not as the Y. It used to be known by four letters. What was the third one? Young men or women's Christian. That's what it was for. Going up in Glasgow in Scotland, I used to be a member of the Boy Scouts. I was actually a Queen Scout, started by Lord Baden Powell. Very much seen as a Christian movement for boys and girl guides, of course, for girls. The leadership that actually took place in our church, a Baptist church, And the leadership of the scout movement and the guide movement were the men and women in our church. That's what they did. It used to be, if you look at maps, that churches stood at the center of the village or town, not only physically, but emotionally, spiritually. Schools, hospital, welfare, all came from the central life of churches. The great cathedrals of Europe, if you look at them, they were built where the trade routes of Europe crossed where people came to set up markets and share ideas. The church was there. I think the center of society is now the mall. One of the great privileges and challenges for Central Baptist Church has in its location in Victoria. We are in the middle of the hustle and bustle of the city. We were in the middle and the activity of, of the physical life of our city, but we have to ask a better question. Are we in the middle of the life and activity of this city spiritually and emotionally? Do we feel the pulse of the city? Or has erosion done its deadly work in the combination of these two forces, privatization secularization? You see, privatization withdraws us within our walls. Secularization removes our influence from the public life of the city. When you combine these two forces, we end up with what a Catholic scholar scholar called John New has called. He called it the naked public square. And what he means by this is public life, which has been stripped of the influence of the spiritual in its secularization. Society has become stripped of its spiritual clothes. And we now have the naked public square. When I first came to church in, in Victoria a long time ago, in the 80s into the 90s, I was often invited as part of a row of pastors to open parliament each day as they did with prayer. That doesn't happen anymore, not to my knowledge. When you went to vote, what was on top of the slot that you put your vote in? A Bible. I don't think it's there anymore. Those are two simple expressions of the silent evidence of erosion. Secularization means society is closed to the reality and the potential of the spiritual. We end up in a culture of what are called spent sacred forces. It requires much more than simply saying we're on Pandora Street. It means that we have to be in the lifeblood of the city. We need to remember that public morality does not does not decline in an act of parliament, but rather when ordinary people over ordinary issues withdraw from the arena of public life. Third idea, the tolerance of pluralization. By its definition in the Charter of Rights, Canada is officially pluralistic. It means that each truth stands on its own piece of ground And no truth is allowed to overpower other truths. And so Christendom is dead. The word we use to describe this great Canadian quality is tolerance. We're called to tolerance. I appreciated Daryl Johnson's comment about that. He said, and if you catch only maybe one sentence from this morning, think about this one. Tolerance is not a Biblical issue. Patience is, understanding is, wisdom is, mercy is, humility is, as are many other aspects of the fruit of the Spirit. But tolerance is not one of them. Jesus was not always tolerant. Sometimes Jesus was not very tolerant at all. When Jesus saw the scandal that people were making of his father's house, he was not tolerant. He made a whip, turned over the tables. What would he do today? I am not sure. But the erosion is this. Little by little, the bar gets lowered in society. Society tolerates more, objects less. And so in this social climate of moral lenience and ethical broad-mindedness, an ethos has created that anyone who does not go with the flow is labeled intolerant, which is regarded as sin against social equality and inclusivity. I just will tell you this morning, there is a list of moral and cultural issues that I disagree strongly with but I reluctantly find that I'm expected to display tolerance towards them. I struggle with that. I have a sense that one of the silent effects of this growing tolerance in our society has had in the church and amongst Christians, it is that it has lowered the moral and the ethical standards that were once accepted. What we rejected of the legalisms in the 50s and 60s that many of us grew up with, and I understand them. Seeing faith as a set of rules and regulations, a list of do's and don'ts. We have often rejected them for something looser rather than for something deeper. We have often misunderstood spiritual freedom to mean and to look the same as spiritual irresponsibility. An attitude that interprets freedom as meaning we can live and do whatever we want. You need to remember Martin Luther's phrase, freedom is not the right to do what you want, it is the power to do what you ought. Christian ethics have not been lost overnight in a single battle. Rather, they have been lost in the silent negotiations of compromise, one issue at a time. And so we need to find that narrow path between legalism and license and recover a path of thoughtful discipleship. So you see, when these three forces, privatization, secularization, pluralization, when they converge silently upon the church and the cause of Christ, they do not come with the sudden upheaval of an earthquake. Rather, they have come with the silent force of erosion and the damage that they have done and are doing is huge. These are ideas that I believe we have silently acquiesced to. One of the signs of the ineffectiveness of a church today is that while church attendance may increase, and the church, church may actually appear to grow, our influence and our impact in society stays the same, or actually decreases. So it's not enough to ask, is our church growing numerically? How many people are there on a Sunday morning? How many seats are filled? We have to ask a better question. What growing impact, if any, are we having in our society and in our city? So can the church recover the strength that it should have? The answer, I believe, is always yes. It begins as change always does with the reality of repentance which remembers a word of decision it's a word that means we will stop the slide the direction that we're in and we will start to move in a different direction repentance always leads to reformation and transformation it's always a process that involves progressively changing those destructive ideas and changing them into ideas that reflect the mind and the heart of our God. Spiritual change is the interchange between fallen ideas with the ideas that come from the mind of God. Let me ask you, can you identify an area in your life in which the meaning of your Christian commitment has been silently eroded? You would have recognized, you would have fought And you would have won a frontal battle. But this was nothing like that. Silently, without any battle, without any noise, erosion is taking place. You heard nothing, you did nothing, it's gone. So what can we do? What can we do? Let me just give you the beginning of an idea. What if Christians and churches, congregations, committed to the cause of Christ across their city? What if they got together, instead of trying to plan for the moment an evangelistic campaign, but they got together and in a strategic fashion, called the best and most able people in each of their congregations, Central Baptist, and Glad Tidings are on the corner, and Lambrick up in Gordon Head, and all those kind of con- congregations that you know, and said, we will ask our best and most able men and women to run for city council in Victoria, and Saanich, and Oak Bay, and Langford. And we will work and run and support these people to be on the boards of hospitals, and libraries, and schools. Instead of just running the church, what does it mean to go on the boards of these local communities that we often complain about? And we will put our best people in the front seats of these things. Would that reverse the compromise? I don't know. But it's an idea. I'm going to invite you to stand, the worship team to come back. I won't applaud just yet because I'm not finished. (laughs) Let me ask you. So what does it mean to recover that area that once belonged to Christ and now has been eroded? To exchange some false idea with an idea that comes from the heart and the mind of God. What does it mean to silence that piece of public life? Sorry, what does it mean to redeem that slice of public life? For the glory of God and our city. It was that kind of thinking one day that moved a man called Abraham Kuyper, who was a famous Dutch prime minister, to say, there is not one square inch of this entire congregation, but which Jesus Christ does not cry out, This is mine. This belongs to me. I think Jesus meant that seriously for his church when he said, you are, meaning we are, the salt of the earth. In a time long before refrigerators, salt was what stopped meat from going going bad. So sometimes the question must be, Where is the salt? You are, we are, the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand that gives light to everyone in the house. Salt and light reverses erosion. Good morning, God bless you. We want to take a moment to thank you for listening. And we invite you to join us on Sunday mornings in person or online. For more information about who we are and what's happening at the church, visit us online at centralbaptistchurch.ca. And it would mean so much to us if you took a moment to rate and review the podcast. It's one of the best ways you can help us spread the truth of the gospel online. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Victoria podcast.